You know what? My degree keeps me satisfied. <laughs> Yo, that skit hit different when you... Yeah, it really do. I get a good-ass job. Have I been late? No. But I can add up the change in your pocket really, Real really, fast. really fast. <laughs> I'm gonna get a good-ass job. Don't tell anybody. And then, if you kiss enough ass, you'll make your way up to assistant manager. That's when you're the secretary's secretary. She's the boss's niece. You're part of the family. Yeah, that's exactly how that should be going. Yeah, yeah that shit's too real. Because when I was in high school, I did not understand that. Wait a minute, hold on. This motherfucker might not be that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this shit really do drop a motherfucker to snap. Man is saying we're too harsh. New verses, please. Come on. episode of Off The Strength, and we're giving you the inside look into all things wellness culture. I'm a trainer called Tony, and of course with me I have a gentleman of extraordinary league. K.R. Jones is in the building. That's what's up, young homie. And as always, shout out to the brothers Troy Brooks, and shout out to the homie Corey out there. Hopefully y'all are doing well. They are moving strong, brother. Keeping it going. Hell yeah. Yo, young Jones, what's going on this week, man? How you moving, brother? I'm feeling good, brother Tom. Shout out to Pharrell, who we came in on. Uh, his birthday just passed, so you know he had that good track out here. You know that hot damn. It's a new day. Star Trek. Showing up the V's, baby. Star Trek, baby. That's what it is. Must be something in the water. It's got to be something in the water. Mm, and mm. In the gloves and the mask and the air. <laughs> All that stuff. There's <laughs> it's a lot of stuff out there. No, Kyle, we can't go down this lane. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're trying to stay on a good path. Some everywhere, but we try to remind them to be good. It's gonna be take three. My bad. Ah. Because <laughs> I'm gonna keep it in anyway. You're leaving nothing for me to go after that because it's everywhere. <laughs> something is in the air. Something is in your clothes. It's in your so shoes. Over, man. It's you in your what? hair. Man, if you can't laugh, I laugh to keep from crying, pal. It don't matter to me, brother. Tears of joy. Exactly. That's how you gotta make it happen. Fuck it, man. If you need a little gallows humor to make it through the day. Guess where you're going to get it from, man? You got to find something inside this space that makes us happy. That if I can't poke fun at it, I don't love it. I don't care about it. I can't really make it come into my atmosphere. I go back to that whole thing that you were bringing about, that Dave Chappelle thing. The job of people who are in that entertainment side is to take the thing, make some weird observation about it, bring it back to people and give it out and say, you know what, this is what I saw, this is what I witnessed. And here's why we could laugh at it because we're all coming in together. So... I stick by my point. <laughs> I stick by my story. Exactly, my man. Coming in here, you know, it's going to be a heavier day, so we've got to find ways to make this shit fun, man. I'm with you. I'm all about making it fun. I'm all about staying engaged. Be remiss if I didn't talk about the nostalgia that I've been feeling, Tony. You've been feeling some nostalgia. We've been feeling some nostalgia. That's why we came in on that track. Hot damn, man. It's, it's here. It's a new day, too. It's a new day. New verses, please. Exactly. <laughs> I like this nostalgia aspect and nostalgia component, you know. And I've been on the quarantine rides. I've definitely been going back into my backpack, 
going a little deeper and digging through some stuff. And I mean, you know, I know we ain't supposed to like the brother Kanye. I know we ain't supposed we still supposed to be mad at that brother, but I'm getting into nostalgic bag. I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I've been listening. <laughs> I've been listening heavy. That first album, man, these degrees. Are oh. those degrees they keeping me warm? Yeah, that shit hits a little different today, man. It's like you talk about the tears of joy at the top of the show. These was in tears of joys when I went to go back through and listen to this shit. Where are you going, Johnny? <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I like to go back and revisit some albums that were on the high end of what I was listening to as a teen and just see how they reshaped and played out. So that's been on a nostalgia trip for me. It's been bringing some fun inside there. I think music just kind of guides you through where your emotions should be. As it should. You lay into that pocket. You hear the groove and you hear the artist start to layer some of that language. just painting that visual picture for you. Man, it, it, sometimes it could be like a warm embrace. Sometimes it can get that rage out. Sometimes it could be, you know, wherever you need to go. That canvas, that thickets inside the mind can be laid out like a landscape, my man. And you can go all the way through that. They lay it out for you to play it out, brother. For sure. What's been going on in your week, brother? How have you been taking this nostalgia forward? Anything fun that you want to talk about? Anything that is keeping you upbeat and positive this week? The community staying digitally connected is keeping me upbeat. It's keeping me positive just to see the the different lives. The other day I tapped into a, a live meditation class. I tapped into a, a live podcast from one of my friends that was out there. So it's just been cool to see people staying connected. Have you been to a house party yet? I have not been to a live house party. House parties are type live. That's another way that people are staying connected. So it's different tools that are just being presented to continually fuel that community aspect. That's what's up, man. Ain't gonna hurt nobody. Hopefully we get that little... To get on down. You know, <laughs> get on down. <laughs> if we're gonna go by the house party rules, we can't have nobody banging on the DJ's table. None Stop of that banging on the damn furnace. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure the house party rules are strictly enforced out here, man. So I, I haven't been, but I have seen... A bunch of my DJ homies holding it down on that forefront. And I've also been able to see some of the collective people that we've had in our circle before start to do their own versions of meetups. So I saw a homie host the cocktail hour the other day. I was like, damn, dude, I don't even know how this works. But <laughs> shout out to you for hosting a cocktail hour right now. We getting creative on this. There's the after hour mixers. <laughs> There's all different types of stuff. That people are finding ways to connect. So champion that, man. Because, again, at the end of the day, this is the way that we got to be around each other for a little bit. So we might as well get as creative as possible for it. I support that wholeheartedly. I was also intrigued, at least, by the fact that the parks are still open. That's a little curious. Happy to see people still getting out there, getting active. But at the same point in time, it's just kind of like, yo, fam, I don't know if all of Fort Greene needed to be in the park at the same time. That kind of goes in the opposite direction. I think the parks that are keeping open are the ones that are big enough for people to space out. Like the tighter knit community parks have been closed. Like I've seen a few dog parks closed and basketball courts. But Fort Greene is spacious enough for people to keep that six foot distance. Should they all be there? Of course not. That's what I was about to say. You would think <laughs> until everybody don't have nowhere to go but the park. <laughs> you yeah. know, seen it. I haven't stopped in. I've ridden past in a couple of Oh, places. I only ride past. I ain't going in there. Yeah, riding slow. You know, I was looking around. I was like, oh, okay. There's like I saw the bomber's market still going on. And I'm like, y'all are wild. I don't understand how these things work. But, you know, somehow we got to find the new normal even inside of that. So I'm happy to see the positive on that side that people are still being active in some way, shape, or form. Hopefully everybody's being respectable and health conscious as they're going through those sides. And, um, yeah, man, just been trying to work on this personal development thing. Finding something different every day to try to either unpack or digest or go through or even just letting everything go 
seeing where that takes you, you know, not having the uh, level of expectation that every day has to be one in the same category or every day has to be exponentially better than the one before that. Really comfortable inside that aspect. So I was pretty happy about that, man. That happiness is going to be something that we always got to find a way to keep cultivating, a way to keep mining for as we go forward into these weeks. And speaking of which, Young Jones, we're going to start the show off on a high note. We're going to try to find the good, the better... And the best coming into this week. I see what you did there. Yeah, man, we're gonna try to come into this week Elevating a little bit different. The people, the good people. Hell yeah, man! Try to keep them uplifted, you know. So this is gonna be how we kick off this segment. This is gonna be all ripped from the headlines. All right, my man. And again, it's increasingly hard to find good information inside the news every week, but. We are still committed to trying to make this happen. So the first article that I jump into, coming from pavements.com in the good section this week, is that I'm happy to see that we're starting to have advocates on our side lobbying towards the federal government to try to help support the wellness industry. I'm cautious about who those lobbyists are. So when I saw that ClassPass CEO put out a press release stating that the feds need to flex their muscle to come help us out, I was happy that he's making that call, but also put up that Slight alert to understand what's going on. So Fitz Landman told reporters that everything that has hit the wellness industry has been nothing short of catastrophic. And the people that are impacted by that are having the hardest time readjusting. Now, if it were just for the fact that this was a person trying to advocate for the greater, we said somewhere around that just underneath 400,000 population of people who are now displaced, I'd be totally okay with that. But I always got to look at why is the CEO of this company really that invested in the whole exploration to begin with. So ClassPass has been hit pretty hard as a base function of what they need to do is scheduling and programming classes. When you don't have the ability to schedule or program classes, it becomes really hard for them to even stay solvent and to hold up on their side too. So I like the fact that they're advocating. I have to make note of the fact that they're advocating not just on the behalf of altruism and trying to save the trainers and the businesses that they represent, they have vested interest. And then last thing that I have to also look at is that they were also invested in maybe the thing that's a little hurtful to the businesses that they were invested in is that their whole digital strategy was already on the back end. And I know this because in the gym that I own, they ran advertisements for hit classes right next to the, the advertisement for our hit studio. So it was almost like you had two competing products out on the market at the same time. Now they're benefiting on the fact that they had a back catalog and that's working, but even that still has a little bit of ambiguity inside there. How do you feel about the tech companies and the people who were in cahoots in some ways with the wellness industry also trying to siphon a little bit of the funds over there? Because that's really what you're doing inside that. How do you feel about them representing you possibly to congressional authorities? I feel like everyone's in cahoots, Tony. And they were (laughs) cahooting together. And here we are on the back end of it. I believe that him reaching out comes from him losing money. Mm-hmm. That's just it overarching. If the good from this reach out comes to save some of these wellness institutions, then by all means, it was great. But where he comes from and his point of departure is because the man is losing money, man. His pockets is getting slim, if yeah. you get where I'm coming from. Oh, yeah. He's going on the massive remake. Again, just that business model is going to be hard to upkeep even when we do make the switch back over to traditional brick and mortar type businesses. So I do have to find the good inside the story and I would say the good is him reaching out the good is in him reaching out and how do you make that better is that now all of these other 400 something thousand disenfranchised people need to pay attention to these companies and find a way to keep them accountable and make sure that your voice is actually being represented 
So the same petition that they made you sign to say let's lobby against these federal governments, well now what are we asking for in return? So I'm totally happy with giving out my support, totally happy with leveraging whatever would be quote unquote influence on that side and rallying those voices and getting more people to pay attention to you. But if you're a governing body that's asking on behalf of us, then we need to see who's the representatives coming back on that other side. So always, always, always want to bring truth to task and hold a measuring stick back up to wherever people are handing out that here we are to help kind of aspect. Need to pay attention to everything that's coming around on that side because where's the benefit? Where's the cost? Everything in life has that. Accountability, sir. That was the good? That was the good. Uh, so we're going to the best now. We're going <laughs> We're going to the better. <laughs> okay, the better. The better comes from Stylist.com this week, and these are some of the best stretches to do when you're at home. From a man named Tim Kaode from Flexology. You familiar with Flexology, Kyle? Hell no. <laughs> it's a UK-based company, but he gave us about 10 stretches that you can do in your house that are going to be able to undo some of that sitting on the couch or sitting in a chair type of stress. And I'm sure... As the resident flexologist on our staff. You're damn skippy. Yeah, put <laughs> some pro- respect on that. Exactly. It's the highest level of respect on this, man. As a yoga practitioner, I'm sure that you can take some appreciation for these stretches inside here. So he's telling you to advocate for stretching of the skate leans in the neck, stretching of everything inside the shoulder girdle. So these are all the things that kind of typically are impacted by that upper cross syndrome, right? So we're staying on the computers, we're staying on the phone, we start to round, getting that D evolution position, turning into a C. Turn it into a caveman. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to undo some of that stuff while you're in the crib, you know? Can't have you going on live looking like the question mark, so we got to make sure that you straighten up. (laughs) Looking sharp, man. So stretching out the shoulders, stretching out the neck, stretching out, you know, hitting the side bends and anything in that perspective. Kyle, you have any of your favorite in-home stretches to do to keep people a little bit more loose, a little mobile, a little supple? I'm always a fan of rotation, getting that T-spine rotated. You can do it in a chair. You can do it standing up. You can do it on the ground. That's how great of a stretch it is. So just being able to open that spine up. And my second favorite will always be the toe touch. Okay. The toe touch, it gets you where you need to be. I'm going to go ahead and look for the good inside of what you just said. <laughs> just leave it at that. <laughs> leave it at that. We ain't even going to pick that up. Nah, no, we're just going to leave that out there. You know. All right. So Kyle is pro- Letting people get limber inside the new home front. I am here to support that message, much like I am here to support the message that I saw in the best section for this week. An article from USA News in the health section is promoting how to protect your family's mental health during the COVID pandemic. Now, typically, people have been focusing on mental health as an individualistic type of aspect, which is truthfully the way that you should navigate it. But if you were somebody with a spouse, kids, your household's mental health is something that you should also be paying attention to. So I was happy to see that we're starting to put a little bit more attention to things that are going to be here for a little bit. And they gave out some pretty good tips as to how we can go through that. I want to go through these in a little bit. But first, just give me a little bit on how you feel about treating the whole family's mental health as a priority in these days and times. I feel it's beneficial. It's it's something that will only help everyone else. There's strength in numbers, as you always know. So if you can get everyone in your household on the same accord, then that's a recipe for success. So what they go through is starting to list out some of the things to help your kids in particular and your spouse go through what this time frame is going to be based around. So number one recommendation is to limit kids' exposure to news. Now, you should keep your kids informed, but the abundance of news and the frequency at which we get it has been shown to have some correlation to the issues with anxiety. And while you're inside the house, it's going to be really hard to curtail that. They did say that communication is going to be something that is critical. So you should be honest, 
but then also let the kids know that this is going to be something that is going to end. Resisting the urge to treat this as a vacation is critical, the article goes on to lay out. So keeping everybody on a schedule will help keep what seems unnatural a little bit more normal because it's going to be regimented to give you purpose inside the day. And that's important even for the kids. So scheduling things like homework, scheduling things that are going to be based around nap schedules, if they're younger kids, feeding times, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Recess, you name it. Whatever it is. And I did like they highlighted the fact that family physical activity should be a priority inside of everything because it's not just the sake of the adults to be moving around to stay healthy. The kids also need to stay healthy too. And Grandma too. Abuela, everybody. Whoever, all that. Whoever's in the crib. Get the whole crib down. I see you still trying Abuelito. to take this. You still trying to take this Duolingo. See. <laughs> Second episode, he's breaking out the Duolingo. Mi familia yeah. es muy bueno. I see, I see how you're going through it, man. Oh, man. And the last thing that I appreciated in this article was when they came in and talked about acknowledging the actual struggle as a family. Now... I can tell you that the simple act of acknowledging the fact that none of this is okay is going to have a much greater carryover than most people anticipate. I feel like in most of the angst that I've experienced in life has come from the fact that you're experiencing something that you know is not right, but nobody acknowledges the fact that it's if not right. If nobody say it, then like you act like it don't exist. It's only going to make for a larger problem in the long run. Yeah, and this is going to be the silver line that I take from this story is that the fact that these are families that are taking this on as a unit for your structure, your tribe, and everything that comes forward with that, this is one of the tenets that I would want to implement going forward in family structure in general. If you're going through struggle, it should be under stratifying that information. I don't know if you got to tell your two-year-old the realest possible truth ever, but you shouldn't lie to them. And you should be able to keep them in the ecosystem of knowledge and information share that you have inside the house because they're going to feel the disconnect between what you're saying and how everybody's moving. And if everybody's not being honest with those feelings and if everybody's not willing to usher in the simple act of embracing and sitting in that discomfort, then you do end up having those pockets where that untruth can stir and manifest and end up being things that cause that anxiety, cause that depression, cause that everything that we try to do to avoid the pain of the situation. What's your thoughts on that? Man? I'm just happy that the the family time is coming to the forefront. Like I think about when I was younger, the only time that I sat down and had dinner was when I was in trouble and I couldn't watch TV or something. It was like, no, you're going to sit at this table. You're going to finish these carrots. I hated carrots. That's neither here nor there. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I think that being honest and recognizing that everything is not all right and speaking that truth is only going to get you to the next level. Kids, if you know anything about kids, majority of the time, they don't have a filter. So they are just going to say whatever they feel, however they feel. And that's going to be the truth that they speak. So introducing them to the truth and open communication at a young age is only going to make that better. And once this is over and we move past this, I think that's to your point, going to make it a lot more beneficial for families to keep that implemented in their day-to-day practice, to keep that communication open, to keep that level of activity open. I think it's just going to bring people closer together. Yeah, man. While things are falling apart, we do have the time to kind of appraise our value structures and our emphasis anyway. And I'd say it's always going to come back to leaving this good, better, best segment with as we're looking at the infrastructure and it's kind of crumbling or it's kind of making you take a little bit of a break, well, let's take our values that we want to have the highest of and let's try to reconstruct what that future tomorrow is going to look like. Maybe we can, through the truth, set ourselves free 
and through that truth, raise the bar. I have a dream. <laughs> that one day. That one day. <laughs> we gonna work it out. out, out, out. <laughs> we gonna figure something in there. <laughs> what in the fuck was that? <laughs> That's the nostalgia kicking in right there. We got, we got to bring it back. And I think that that nostalgia is what is allowing me to raise the bar right now. Okay. Nostalgia is allowing me to keep somewhat of my sanity, anything that I need to stay in tune. With today's segment of raising the bar, of course, you know, we're going to start with the bar low and raise it up as we go through this, man. Tony, were you able to see any of the Don't Rush challenges out here? I have seen a tragic amount of Don't Rush challenges. <laughs> For those of our listeners who don't know what the Don't Rush challenge is, it, in its simplest form is a group of people getting together. You put something to block the view of the camera, and then you change into an outfit. Yeah. So you start one way, you change to another. The best one I saw was the women of Afropunk. They were out here taking the Don't Rush Challenge to a whole nother level. I'm going to tell you right now, the women of Afropunk showed up with a different agenda. So once the weapons start to come out, yeah. they got something a whole different type of setup. The weapons and the chokers really, <laughs> really escalated things to the next level. Yeah, yeah. But for those of you out there who are thinking about making a Don't Rush Challenge, stop. Just don't even <laughs> rush to do it. Just go ahead and let that one skip. That wave is past. Let that ship sail. And we're going to move on to the NBA struggling to make content. Tony, have you peeped any of the NBA highlights of actual NBA players playing NBA 2K, the video game? That's a very meta sentence. I have not watched the NBA players playing themselves in the NBA. Playing yourself on a video game is a lot different than playing on the court. And the advantage goes to the younger players in the NBA than it does the older ones, because they got to keep that same energy. I've seen KD out there getting handled, but not in a good way. It's wild to see how easily we shifted towards esports when up until I'd say two, three years ago, when people were going around and buying esports teams and putting in big investments, like I saw Barclays Center shut down for three days for an esports conference, and my head couldn't legitimately understand why would I want to watch somebody play a game. It's a whole community. Oh, it's a big community, and that's just me showing my age too. Like I couldn't understand. I was like, either I want to play the game or. Like, nah, I don't, I don't want to watch you and play And you something. are that demographic that are getting their ass kicked. Oh, I definitely am. I'd be getting served, so I can't <laughs> On 2K mad. right now. What does it say about you if you don't pick your own character in 2K? <laughs> well, a lot of people aren't, believe it or not. And the two teams that I've seen people playing with the most are three teams are the Lakers, the Bucks, and the Clippers, of course. So you think your game is trash if you don't pick yourself? Pretty much. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> if I'm in the game, I'm playing myself. <laughs> I'm in the game, I'm playing me, or I'm not going to play me. Uh, it's up to you. You got to grab that quarter if you pick somebody else. I mean, slide the quarter. <laughs> we not going to go down there. <laughs> we not going down that route. I can't just slide the quarter, man, if you're going to do it. <laughs> Speaking of quarters and change, Erica Badu <laughs> had an apocalypse concert for the price of $2, Tony. That is two bills, $2 bills, to see her perform live in her concert series. Interactive, she was promoting on Instagram, on her Instagram, and driving people to her website to see this live performance. We talk about this all the time, when people bring 
or people control or promote their audience on one platform and take them to another. How do you feel about that? Or have you seen any of Erica Badu's concert series? First of all, anybody that knows me can attest to my affinity for the greatness that is Erica Badu. I still need that candle. Uh, yeah, I do too. I want to go back. <laughs> now more than ever. Exactly. I need to stock up on my survival supplies. <laughs> it's number one on the list. Get a box of candles. Badu candles. <laughs> For the Badissi in the crib. Yeah, you know what I mean? You just need candles in the crib. You never know. It's untrying times, man. So especially in this post-apocalypse kind of shit, you, you need that, right? But aside from my obsessive affinity, I am an analog guy in the digital world much like her. And I would say for Erica Badu transitioning people from one platform to the next, I'm going to go ahead and go back and do a callback to my man, Young Jones. Erica Badu is a... PTP. What's that again? A primetime player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a primetime player for getting people. Mama, here. that's that man. <laughs> or woman in this case. Or woman. <laughs> We're going to get better. <laughs> Salute to Badu for being a PTP out here and really knowing how to move people and hustle them with her art, moving it through the channels the right way. So I can only praise her higher than where she's at right now. Man, with that being said, uh, we got to stay in this nostalgic bag. Okay. Now I want to take you to the cha-cha slide. Don't do that. <laughs> When's the last time you heard the cha-cha slide, Tony? It was some tragic wedding somewhere. <laughs> but did sure. you actively participate in the cha-cha slide? If I was there, I probably had to. <laughs> now, if you were open to a new cha-cha slide being made, who would you want to hear it from? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody? Close them. <laughs> I mean, if, if you just had to predict, in 2020, a new cha-cha slide was made, who would make it? I feel like the same people that made TikTok is behind this. <laughs> Well, I'm going to enlighten you and say that it was not the good folks at TikTok, but it was the good brother, Aubrey Graham. My, my answer stands. <laughs> Formerly known as Drake, is out here with the Tootsie Slide. Have you heard this, Brother Tone? No. Have you seen the video of people doing the Tootsie Slide? I'm avoiding that more than large crowds right now. Man, you and me both, brother. This is a swing and a miss. <laughs> That's what that is. I think the good brother Drake has struck out him and his full LSC. He's just taking it to new levels. Tony, do you know what his LSC is? You're hitting me with the second abbreviation of the day, Kyle. I'm not familiar with LSC. Drake's LSC is his full light skin capabilities, Tony. And he is just swinging and missing all around town with this. This is trash, by the way. <laughs> light skin I can't endorse that. Drake is tapping into his Shamar Moore, his Rick Fox, his uh, Michael Ely's. If you want to, man, he is just going across the board, tapping in on new levels. It started with Little Yachty's Oprah's bank account. He was in a video, and this is where he lays out his LSC and, you know, growing a beard. Because his facial hair before the beard, he had the Raper Man face, and it just wasn't good. I mean, so for the patchy bearded aficionados, which... By the time that this virus scare is over, I'm going to have a full beard. I'll just let you know that I don't appreciate it. I wish the best for you on that. But you see this growth. You got it, man. I, too, am working on the inside. Yeah, Drake is working on the inside out fully. Uh, The Tucci slide is not going to get a thumbs up from me. It's going to get a full thumbs down. It will not replace the cha-cha slide. If anything, I would label it as the Canadian cha-cha slide, and it's going to stay in Toronto for me. The T-dot cha-cha slide is one of those things that is obviously orchestrated for right now. And this is why I can't get behind it, and this is why I'm going to stay with the whole plant idea of it, because it's just too perfect, because... Look at what's happening already. We just talked about everybody and their mom going through every different type of don't rush challenge, which, again, I 
have attacked the algorithms of certain individuals that were on there, so I do appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> this is going to be that same thing, but it's going to live on. I guarantee you it's going to go off on TikTok, and I know what they're already trying to do for that. So I'm going to go ahead and say miss me with all that. You can miss me with the Tucci slide. I'm only bumping the cha-cha from here on out. But, I mean, we keep on bringing back this motif of nostalgia, Tony. Mm. And we went from Erica Badu, the video games, the Don't Rush Me challenge, and we ended on the cha-cha. But I want to talk about this Little John vs. T-Pain Instagram Live. Okay. Now, before this live battle even went down, I was... Already on Lil John's side. I'm like, look, Lil John won this in my eyes based upon the scene that I'm about to set for you. I'm waking up. I'm about, what, maybe 12 years old in the crib. So it was me, my father, my stepmother, and my stepbrother. So my stepbrother's father was a street pharmacist. <laughs> so he had all of the new things that you could want. I'm talking the new J's, the, the J's that came in the suitcase, the, the oh, 17's. Yeah. I remember those. He had the pager that was see-through that you could see through it. But the main thing he had that I was envious of was the Sony boombox. And I'm talking with the speakers that came up to your knee, to your shin, that could shake the house. You remember what I'm talking about. I know it very well. They weren't on sale, but if you went to Target or Walmart, you knew they was in the back. They was the ones I was turning up and, and running with. Nice. So I remember waking up to be a beer one morning and just the speakers vibrating the house and just remembering like, yo, what is this sound? What song is this? Do you remember do you remember when Bia Bia came on? I do, and I'm just trying to understand how that household was set up because You scared. Yeah, if that started playing while I was in the crib. Stop acting like a you scared. Me and my stepbrother would have had to get to stepbrothers for real and start wrestling in the house. <laughs> but that's how I was waking up. And it was my first intro into Little John's music. And I, in my 12-year-old mind, understood it as, man, this is aggressive. This is rebellious. He's cursing. He is doing everything that I want to do. And I feel like it laid down a foundation of a path for me to walk into. It was like, yo, if Little John is out here screaming and cussing at people, that's how I need to give it up. In a metaphorical sense, not in real life. You get what I'm saying? But the the importance of this nostalgia is that it was an entryway for me to understand what it's like to claim your heritage, right? He was from the South. This is during a time when the South was slowly coming up and creeping up to take over the hip-hop music as we know it today. Because it was historically known for its birth in New York, but the South always had something to say. So being as though that I was in Baltimore and I was in Maryland at the time, this was that midway point. So this was in between the North and the South, so I got the best of both worlds for sounds. But when I heard Lil John, I was walking with my chest up. Okay, we go. And he won that battle way before that battle even started, in my opinion. I mean, what was your intro to Little John, if you remember? Again, I do have that heavy New York slight and that New York understanding of how to appreciate hip-hop music. But what I can tell you that I appreciate from Little John music is the fact that he made it capable for young black youth to access aggression in a positive way. Not necessarily saying that everything that came from that, kind of like how you were going into, was like, yo, I need to go outside and start doing this. No, you needed to have a valve, right? And kids from the suburbs and kids in different communities had that in different types of metal and different types of alternative rock music where you can get your anger out and mm -hmm. then just go back and listen to your normal shit back, back and forth, right? So it's 
not necessarily packaging all his music as angry, but there was a tone of, like, I'm upset for whatever the case is. Like, if you're listening to Nuck While You Buck <laughs> and all the rest of that kind of stuff, they're giving you instructions through that whole thing. So he took chanting, realistically, from the clubs where it wasn't full verse. <laughs> it's it's no, literally... that Love is a Friends verse. Uh, nah, you can keep that. <laughs> what? <laughs> you wild. I've been new you for a long time. Shorty. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants get that. Get him out of here. <laughs> that, was, that was the verse. I like Lil John in low doses. <laughs> he needs to be giving you <laughs> instructions as to where to move <laughs> and nothing more. That's him at his pinnacle. Understood. In every single way, shape, or form. So I don't even know the context of the actual battle but at the end of the day i like his use of aggression stylistically and his use of chanting because it's the simplest form of a song to get the crowd to really be bought back into it they only want to sing the part they want to sing along to anyway and that kind of gave way to ringtone era gave way to beyond just the crunk movement a lot of the way that sonically the South has just started dominating everything. It starts there. Now, I want to put a pinpoint in that and highlight two things. First thing I want to highlight is you talked about Little John's music being a point of departure for them to get out aggression because other kids had rock and roll music, as you said. I think that the beauty in that is that it was a way to channel a release, right? I think it, it was a way that people could fully express themselves. That's why I wanted to bring out that emotion in that. I think it's important to attack that mental health aspect of the music and yeah. why it allowed people to do that. It's you black know? mosh pit music. It's black mosh pit music. Um, I disagree. I feel like his his verses were a little bit longer. You know, you got to go deeper into his no, catalog. I'm, I'm saying I'm only counting his good verses. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go deeper into his catalog. No, I don't want to. <laughs> but also, you, you think of the things that he created, like the word crunk at the time. So yeah. that was one of those things that stuck around. It's like a feeling. People were getting crunk. People were drinking crunk juice. Like, they went into selling products. I don't think I've ever drunk a crunk juice in my life. Nor should you. But <laughs> at that time, it was unheard of, right? Yeah, it was, I like his entrepreneurialism. He got everything he should have got out of his time frame. I think that another part that adds to it is the point that you're bringing up is that repetition when something is constantly repeated you have no choice but to adapt to it the repetition in his songs and his hooks specifically is what got them to stay into your head yeah little john was a masterful dj who understood the atmosphere of nightclub culture and took that and brought it to the mainstream in a way that people could not really access and understand so i would never take anything away from it is hook music yeah. I don't get, I, nobody's like, yo, you know what best verse ever is? And they finish a sentence with Lil John, anything inside there. So I'm going to completely reject what you're saying. <laughs> I'm going to go on a limb and fire. say, as a DJ and a producer, rather, he... Fire. Top is, five for, for verses as producers. Who else is on that list? I don't know. Would you prefer a Timbaland verse? That's not that's not somebody that I'm going to A Swiss Beats verse? Who, who are we talking here? We ain't even going to have this conversation because that conversation ain't going to have Lil John in it. All right. But I'm going to let him rock in the area of his domain. He is untouched, right? So I don't understand how T-Pain came across inside that unless you're talking about hook for hook. Because T-Pain did have some fire hooks in there. So no, T-Pain killed some hooks for sure. But before that battle even began, Little John was the winner to me. And that is what raised my bar watching it live and just reliving all of those moments. Being around your digital community, seeing how they turn it up. The digital community is turned. 
I was definitely sipping some crunk juice as I was watching. See, there we go. You're drinking out of one of them gas tank things. I had the chalice. I had the pimp chalice with me. Oh, you're talking about the... Wow, the gas tank. I forgot about that. The refill. Yeah, exactly. Doing a lot of crazy shit back then, man. Can't have that. Tony, I think that's going to be it for me, man, for raising the bar. How you feeling about that? I'm feeling like after coming off all this crunk energy, we got to find a way to decompress a little bit. You know, I don't want to just be throwing the elbows all the time. I can't just be knucking while I buck. I got to calm down. And when I like to calm down, I like to sit back, relax, relaxing responsibly You're inside right. here. Young Jones, how you relaxing responsibly coming into this week, my man? I have been relaxing responsibly this week by preparing meals every day. Right on. By cooking. Okay. You know, it's it's come to a point where going out to, or at least ordering food out becomes very expensive, and it's a little dangerous to your health when you think about those people delivering your food. Yeah, homie, that's a little questionable. I don't know how you can do it with a clear conscience. You know, I ain't gonna lie, like, Seamless has been on the brother. <laughs> like, Grubhub is on the brother. They got ads. Like, yo, yo, y'all ain't forget about me, right? But Hit me up. <laughs> yeah. They trying to slide in the DM. When Seamless is sliding in the DM, that's a different type of situation. Hey, you remember me? Yeah, exactly. Yo, hey, hey Big Head, what you doing? It's like... <laughs> Not Hey Big Head. <laughs> that's how Seamless hit me up. <laughs> what's up, brother? How you doing? Yeah, exactly. Hey, what's going on? How, what you been on? How you surviving out here? You want to get back up? <laughs> yeah, just press this button right here. Yeah, we give it to you free. You Push the goddamn bit. button. Yeah. It's starting to get more aggressive throughout the course of the day. It's like, damn, yo. All the more reason why I'm letting Seamless go and honing in on that in-home cooking. You know, I'm getting yeah. into my inner G. Garvin TV1. You remember him? I don't know. I do remember G. Garvin on TV1. I was out here chefing like him. So All right. I'm not saying that I have my own cooking show, but I might. You never, you never know. You know what I mean? We getting this content out either way. The K.R. Jones Cook Show. But it allows me to relax solely because you really have to focus in on what it is that you're doing and think about what you're preparing and it has to be premeditated and I think that that is the key component to allowing me to relax. I like the process of it when you're cooking your own food and actually giving you the preparation aspect of it. Kind of gives you a little bit of ritual if you let it washing of your whatever you're about to have, cutting it up, preparing it, seasoning, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Gets you back into that, digging down into whatever you're about to enjoy. You put that effort into it and anything that you can see the physical result you put an effort into, it's always going to be something that brings you a little bit more appreciation for it. Of course. It's also very freeing in a sense that you don't really have a limit and you can use your imagination. You can explore. You can go to YouTube University and explore and cook something new if you don't have that in your arsenal. It's one of those things where if you want to make something, you just got to go to the store, get the things you need and explore. I think that's the beauty in cooking. There is not too many limits. It allows you to do whatever it is you want. I made some French toast the other day. It was fire. I just want you to know that. You know what I'm saying? I, I did the damn thing. <laughs> to the point when, when you got other people hitting you up, like, yo, I had to make some French toast the other day. That, the French toast you made look fire. I was like, yeah, I know, brother. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like how you cleaned that up, too. Of course. <laughs> what you talking about? What you talking about? He out there, he out there food thirst trapping. <laughs> you know it. You know what I mean? That food porn food is real. <laughs> 
we out here. <laughs> Look at this skillet. This sauteed. Look at how I flip this. <laughs> I got that good cookware. There's a lot of people out here that don't. So, you know, when you see it, you better recognize it. All right, man. I good, good brother, Tom. How are you out here? Relax and responsibly, brother. Since we're staying in, in the nostalgic theme and in the nostalgic bag this episode, Kyle, I am relaxing responsibly this week by going back and really starting to look up some of my childhood favorite things and try to understand how they shaped me to who I am today. So you can look through the list on your Hulus, your Netflix, and all the rest of that stuff. You ever throw on a show that you used to have on as a kid? That, yeah, it's trash now. Yeah, man, it's a little tricky. I'm trying to find it, you know, see what I found inside that situation. What did, what did you go and look at? Oh, man, there's a gang of Saturday morning cartoons that I was trying to understand. <laughs> it's like X-Men don't hit the same no more. <laughs> Even pulling up certain albums, like we were talking about earlier, getting nostalgic with certain things. Certain things definitely had a date on it where it was like, yo, I past this time, I can't listen to you the same way that I used to have. And, you know, who was I? What did it say about me at that particular point in time when I was really like, this was my shit? Get a little embarrassed on it. Oh, man, I bought this. Like, physically bought it. <laughs> this wasn't even a stream. <laughs> That's how it be, man. Remember the, the binder that you could slide things into? What I was sliding down were my album artwork from the CDs. Yeah. So off the top of my head, I had the Clip CD in there. I had the Ludacris Word of Mouth CD. And I had Missy Elliott under construction. So I just had their CD artwork in my mind. And that's how I was walking around through school. I was also booking people. You ever got booked before? Nah. That's when somebody come up behind you and knock the book something. See, we, we couldn't do a lot of the same stuff. You got to think that we're not that far apart in age, but at certain points in time, Contextually, if somebody was doing that, there's only one other way that that could go. <laughs> it's like that wasn't that wasn't the laugh, laugh, ha 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 kind yeah, of yeah, situation yeah. right there. No, no, that was that was, was a fight. Yeah, it was turning into something different, man. I'm not saying that it wasn't on my court, but you know, I had different privileges in that field than yeah, other kids did. Shout out everybody that could get away with that because that's just not how we was operating on this side, man. But yeah. Going back and feeling nostalgic, looking at the music that shaped my childhood and really trying to understand how it was going to be formative inside there. Going through the shit that I was listening to when I was angry before, going through stuff that I was listening to when you're sad, you get depressed, or painting that picture, whatever music landscape is going to take you on. That's how I was relaxed and responsibly coming into this week. And to wrap that segment up, trying to appreciate life in its context while it's unfolding. And being able to look back and see everything that has happened and celebrate, finding those small victories, finding those wins and going back. Oh, yeah, I did do that shit. You know, finding little things to find happiness in that you might not have appreciated in that instant is also something that I'm trying to do to relax responsibly. So, and yeah, man, just keep creating going forward. Now, you spoke about the cartoons and the shows that you watched that shaped and molded you to the person you are now. Yeah. Can you recall any lessons you learned within Trans- that you know, manifested now in adulthood. Yeah, Transformers used to have this thing that I still am probably going to sample at one point in time. If I could find the OG Transformers movie, that's like 1980-something, till all are one, definitely come back to and circulate around. The G.I. Joe themes, knowing it's half the battle, is giving you a a ton of game inside <laughs> those aspects. Yeah, it's funny because there are certain things that I definitely would celebrate, but then there's also things that I would question in terms of just the male architecture that we were given at that particular point in time, what was okay, what was not. And even inside of the conversation that we were having inside that nostalgic aspect, being okay with having these this type of depth or this type of openness, saying that this was uncomfortable, saying that this was 
something that you were afraid of, saying that this was something that you were angry about. You know, those those weren't things that were celebrated in that time frame. And I could look back at for everything that I want to be nostalgic about. I also have to look back with a critical lens and say, okay, that's where this originates because it's still I still have present day things that I'm unpacking with that. So you know, the love of everybody kind of has this love of consumerism to a certain extent in today's context and really trying to reevaluate that like why is the system the one that has the stronghold that it does why is it that i have an affinity kind of like what you talked about before to the things that surround me am i really do i really want this or have i just been conditioned for this and this is the only way that i see prosperity is if i get to this level to that level whatever the case may be a lot of that does also stem from those same places I think uh, it's interesting to think about the way that certain things were packaged. Like, if it was something scary or fearful that had to be in a, a comedy or a satire, if you will, like, you can only fear this if it's funny. Like, this can't be a real fear of yours, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can only get the new shiny objects. Like, I remember when the, the goddamn Razor Scooter had just came out. Man, I begged my mother for that. You remember the Razor Scooter? I was a little too old for that by the time. Nah, I was right on par with that. But those infomercials was hitting hard. And I was like, yo, ma, $29.99 plus shipping ahead and we can do this shit. I ain't buying you that shit. (laughs) But, you know, it, it was things like that that shaped your psyche at such a young age. I remember the, you remember Wild and Crazy Kids? The, the show loosely but again it might be like I was yeah. I saw it advertised but I can't tell you that I actually like was invested in it at that point in time man I was heavy on Nickelodeon and I remember the the Nickelodeon magazine commercials that mm-hmm. they, that would just stick into your mind and it was like I feel like those people that were targeting kids were targeting those specific emotions yeah it's kind of crazy and that's another thing that looking back and trying to understand the role that commercials played in most of that stuff and the role that the engineering that went into making these shows these characters all the rest of that kind of stuff looking at it as an adult it's kind of like oh wait hold on this whole thing is just one giant ass infomercial that you just pumping out products for and i could see that but as a child, I was never... The magic was still there, right? It's not like, oh, man, yeah, they just want you to buy extra shit and do all the rest of that stuff. It's like, nah, I got to get all the homies. You know, I can't just have a one. <laughs> I got to get the whole squad. Cause I got to buy everything. They pull up with the squad. It's never just solo dolo when they come inside here. Plus shipping and handling. You know? So it, it's, it's conditioning you. And that conditioning leads to manifestations later on down the line. You know? You don't just want to have one particular thing or very rarely at least there's a need for you to continue to drive that wheel forward otherwise look at what's happening you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people that are easily just purchasing absent-minded right now some people are but i'm saying everybody by the bulk majority of everybody's consciousness they're kind of a little bit more well yeah i still want to make this purchase but maybe i'm going to hold off on it maybe i want to sit with it for a little bit and the markets reflect that the markets are going all up and down because people aren't spending as much they're saving more and when you have that introduced to the system that was telling you, you know, everything's going to be all right, just keep buying, keep buying, keep buying, it does have that conflict. So it's an interesting thing to juggle, to try to understand and try to really sit with why were we okay with this? Can you have balance in the system where you want something, you can have a need for something, but it doesn't necessarily drive you? Just on the idea of things that were acceptable then that aren't acceptable now. Can you think of something specifically that you can do now freely that just wasn't acceptable back then 
actually have an open and honest mental health conversation. That's probably like the most the most pivotal, at least in communities of color. That was not a conversation that I was allowed to have in a realistic way. To have it for you to say something, not be vilified by it, but almost empowered by it. That's a complete 180 from what I knew as an adolescent and as a child. But let's unpack that. What would be the result of having that conversation back then? You would be ostracized. It would be a liability to your overall health. At least coming from where I was, if you're emitting weakness inside of a pack, everybody has pack mentality when you're in that teenage kind of stratosphere. You know, I'd say anytime from at least young male psychology, and I would say specifically just talking about in my terms, young urban male psychology where you know everybody people of color inside the same space we kind of have the same limited amount of resources it's that scarcity mindset we're all competing but at least i'm coming out the house and i have this new brand new whatever right so we're gonna start roasting whoever don't have that right yo we're gonna come out here and this is the new standard all right everybody knows this is the new standard yo what is that what are those what are those like yeah, we gain acceptance. But I by, think that ties into consumerism. No, it one hundred percent does. But I'm saying those are those are not separate conversations. That's the fact that the things that I put on exteriorly tell you what my value is internally, right? That's the idea, at least, of which we're initially sold. And if I can't do that, well, then I have whatever's internal is less than the hierarchy that is built inside of that whole supremacy conversation to keep that idea afloat have to find segmentation even inside those different demographics so the idea of you being different between this person and the next person could be a commercial conversation or it could be a cultural conversation or whatever it is the base tenant is your other your other and this is better so every time i have to make that comparison we're going to say well everybody that's like me is better everybody that's like you is different and it just kind of becomes insidious inside that system. The first thing that comes to mind to me is that last episode, uh, Donald Glover's Atlanta. 1,000%. I lived that whole day. Man, that episode hit differently to me just because I, too, have lived it. I remember shopping at Value City or uh, JCPenney or Ross or Rugged Warehouse, like any of these off the beaten path stores that weren't the the big stores yeah and let's give it a little bit more context to somebody who might not understand what that is the episode of atlanta where the character that's playing donald glover's younger self has a brand new shirt from one of these discounted stores which they usually get something that's a season behind so it's not the brand new thing it's an overstock resale kind of a store so in this episode he finds a fubu jersey Yep. And it's the most coveted thing that he ever wants. And I damn near think that I had the exact same Oh, shirt. I definitely have one of those. <laughs> one, down, almost down to a T. But when he gets to school and he's showing off his new shirt and everybody sees it, everybody initially, because they're all, remember, at the same level. Yo, that's fly. That's dope. That's cool. Then you see the kid with the slightly newer version of it, and it has the most insignificant patch on it, like the smallest of markings. It made no difference. At all. None. But at that point in time, it made every it single difference. the whole world of difference. And the whole school is coming. That's exactly the way I'm coming like, in. Like, yo. We light you up today. You got that fake shirt. Yeah, exactly. Like, one of y'all got to be fake. And it was immediately a competition. And I've, I've seen, I've lived through, and I've been around that, and I understand that entirely. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. They both serve functionally the same thing. You have a shirt on. It's a shirt. You have the same color. It's the same thing. And it could very well be made by the exact same manufacturer. It doesn't mean that one is fake and one is real. What does that even have to do with the fact that you bought one 
at a national distribution chain, but it just was a season behind. You know, I've had that, you know, I've, I've had kids come up the first day of school get roasted. Like, you of know, course. that's your first fit. That's your strong outfit. You got that one that's like, you sat that out on the bed and you looked at it for a couple days and then Damn. they came in. Ah, what, what's up with them Jays? I remember this kid was getting roasted crazy to the point where he had to change schools. Like, he couldn't even come to school no more. It was a bad time. But yeah, it's crazy, man. The things we buy to cover up what's inside, Jones. Back to that Kanye album. It just hitting a little different. <laughs> Nostalgia. When we all, we all fall down. Yeah, exactly. You know? They made us hate ourselves, but love their wealth. That's why. Man, talk bars. He's barring me up right he's now. There, man. That's what I said. I can't throw that brother away. I know we we're supposed to forget about him, but you know, I'm we, still listening. We all self conscious. I'm just the first to admit it. You know, he had it. The rappers that had all the flyest stuff. That's when Fubu was. It was synonymous with rap. I think about LL Cool J and making that Fubu commercial, and I think it was like Redman and everybody else that was in there. And you strive to look like those hip hop artists. So then, when you see that discounted shirt, you go and buy that because that's what you need to feel better on the outside and in the inside. And then you get to school to find out this kid got the newer version of what you got, and now you second class or second generation to him, and now y'all got a beef. It's just. Uh, a never-ending circle of yeah, just you got to constantly buy shit to feel better. And there's a much deeper conversation to have about the whole how LL put that on the map and how Fubu came through. I would highly recommend the Tanning of America. That's another book that I've been reading, and it goes through detailed fashions as to how that counterculture, that movement, that embracing is happening again today. Realistically, it's just slightly different operating system and slightly different terms. I see that happening right now more than ever. And that same, how do you go from co-opting your brand inside of a bigger brand that's not even paying attention to your culture and have both of these brands take off and go into a different direction? That's a collaboration that wasn't called a collaboration because it was not a warranted collaboration. (laughs) But it took them from zero to 100 real quick. And I think that we still have that same, whatever that element is, you know, it's the thing that you go from taking an old undesirable construction boot that nobody in cities were wearing and then flipping it over and saying, okay, this is the new standard for city wear. This is a Timberland boot. We're going to keep this on. You go from taking workman's clothes and now Carhartt is a main stable brand inside here. We do that with everything. But if you are the first part that's moving that whole bigger wheel, there's a way that you can reverse engineer that and I think be a little bit more socially conscious about creating that cascading effect as you're doing it. So I can still be cool and I can still make all the rest of this stuff make people have all this wealth and make people continue to find value in what we're doing. But there's a way to do that that doesn't have to be demonstrative to somebody else. In your humble opinion, where do you draw the line between what you are conditioned to like through your psyche and what you actually like as an individual? Like, where does that come into play i think it always comes back to the things that i had to discover on my own or the things that i had to struggle with the things that i was given and walking into the world with are part of a cultural identity but i don't want to compartmentalize that i'm going to have an affinity for the way a certain shoe looks because i've been enamored with this shoe since my childhood this is the first thing that comes out you know this is what i'm going to identify all my nostalgia is tied into what this physical object is. I can't separate that quite cleanly from, okay, well, this is a brand new thing that I discovered and I liked. 
So depending on where the origin is, is kind of how I would try to stratify that. Was it something that was completely unknown? Did I get shown this? Did I kind of have to walk away from it and have to come back to it to really understand and appreciate it? That compare and contrast is a reflexive thing. Some things are just going to get in. You can't shake it. It's going to be part nature and part nurture. The environment that you came around is going to shape the way you like food, the, the way you look at not just the clothing, but what you're attracted to. You know, what you consider to be good versus bad. All of that stuff comes from that nature component. Then there's also going to be the things that you reinforce. So in the most honest sense, trying not to be held by either one of those too much and allowing it to sit and allowing it to be felt. Do, do I want this because I actually want it? Take out the need aspect and then try to evaluate it from there. I think that makes sense. I think that leads perfect into finding that balance because you have to be able to hold space for why I have the desire and where the suffering is going to come from in that desire. Shout out to the homie Minaj who, who gave us that bar on the Balenciaga and Buddhas. Or... It makes all the sense in the world now, man. You could, you could be with the Buddhas and still be like, yo, I need these Balencies. <laughs> Either or. You, you got to find that balance, man. And I think that's where your your true sense of who you are is going to come out. Your true expression of what you want to show and tell tell people when you when they see you what they can understand about you as a person that's your your psyche is right there yeah i think the more spaces you can show up and feel like you don't have to change in between those different areas is the closer that you're getting towards what you actually are meaning there is just like i was telling you before there was a liability at youth age to come in and say here's what emotion looks like here's what i'm upset about here's all the rest of that because there's consequences and repercussions along that whole thing there is, here's my moral set, here's my moral standards, here's why I developed them this way because I came from this context and the people that are around me operate by these codes that they operate in. I can't divorce myself from that, but here's why I bring these to the table. Here's how I'm going to take that same context and that context can't work in the business world. It can't work in this academic world because the cause and effect aspect can't play out over here because somebody's going to end up with a much more radical set of circumstances so i got to be able to transition from one to the next and as i'm in that business world i can't take that over into any of these other relationships because that that doesn't really fit on this side so how many times are you showing up in these spaces where you're showing up for yourself and can be yourself whatever that means do you even know what that means what's that voice like does it have to be altered why is it being altered is it changing because you're making yourself feel better or you're trying to make somebody else feel better and i think the more you get to grab that wheel and get some control over that, I think that's where you start to find that answer. Wow. You spoke about the segmented realities and being able to pull from each of those worlds and stay in the center of that is always going to be a strife going forward. I think that's that's the beauty of life is being able to pull from every situation, every person you encounter, every emotion that you feel, move forward. I think that's life's purpose, at least to... My best understanding when people ask, you know, what's the meaning of life and all the rest of that, it's, it's to live. But to live is for the individual to define and determine. And in my case, in my scenario, it's got to be a one that I'm asking that question constantly. And it's got to be one where I'm trying to reevaluate, am I showing up for myself and doing the thing that I set out to do? And if it's not being true, well, this is an opportunity to find that new growth, find that new balance and find that new direction that hopefully doesn't alienate my past but it's not beholden by it at the same time. That's all I got on that, brother. Hey, man. You laid it out. Hopefully somebody took those gems.
remixing everything that's inside of this uplifting culture, Young Jones. Take that, take that, take that. Hell yeah, man. The coalition of the goddamn will and the voice of wellness culture will continue to rise. You're rising stronger than ever. The state of our union is indestructible. <laughs> that's how we're coming inside this I didn't know you was going with that, so I just let you have it. Man. That's exactly where I'm at, man. You know, we can't be, no matter how hard they try, we can't be denied, Young Jones. You know, in the good words of the brother Kenny Burke. Okay. We're going to keep rising to the top. All right. <laughs> Once again, it's been another fantastic episode of Off the Strength. I'm a trainer called Tony. I'm K.R. Jones. Peace to the homie Troy. Peace to the homie Corey. Peace and much love to all of y'all out there. Until next time, we will see you soon. <laughs>